Hey, if you listen to this podcast week after week, then you will absolutely love my books. There's Travel Light, which basically gives you all of the steps for following your heart. And then there's Knowing Where to Look, which is full of inspirational stories and anecdotes that will help you shift your perspective in the most inspiring way. And for those of you who can't seem to crack the meditation code, grab a copy of Bliss More, How to Succeed in Meditation Without Really Trying, and your meditation practice will never be the same. All of those books are available on Amazon, as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show. When I submitted this manuscript, I sent it to my publishers and they wrote back and said, we need to talk. And again, this is my ninth book. I'd written more than half a dozen books with this particular publisher. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? No one's ever like challenged my manuscript because it was always pretty, I sent it in clean, was good work. And it was always like, let's print. Of course, you know, some line edits, but like, let's print. And this time they were very concerned. So they called me and they said, we're worried about you, Gabby. You're sharing one negative story after the next. You're too vulnerable and you're not showing your true strength. And I responded, my ability to be this vulnerable is my true strength. Hey there, it's Light Watkins. Welcome back to the podcast. So this week, I've got a very special guest on the show. It's my dear friend, Gabby Bernstein. Gabby is a number one New York Times bestselling author multiple times over. Oprah named Gabby to the Super Soul 100 list. Gabby's also been featured on the Dr. Oz show multiple times. Gabby speaks, she writes, she vlogs, she blogs, she podcasts. She's got a thriving online community. Gabby also co-hosted a Guinness World Record setting global meditation with Deepak Chopra And she has just released her ninth book since 2011, which is called Happy Days. So I've known Gabby personally for several years now. And what I love about her is that she is the exact same person both on stage as she is in private. She speaks from the heart. She tells it like it is. And Gabby is a master manifester in every sense of the word. So it was an honor to have her on the show. And I purposely didn't go too deep into her backstory as I normally do because it's been so well documented throughout all of her books and talks and interviews. And if you haven't heard of Gabby Bernstein before, basically, Gabby grew up in New York City. She worked in nightlife in her early 20s. She was doing lots of drugs. Then she started a PR company, which burned her out. And after hitting rock bottom around 25 years old, she got clean and sober. She rediscovered her meditation practice, which she initially learned at 16. And her latest book, Happy Days, actually covers a lot of that period where in her 30s and now early 40s, she rediscovered some old sexual trauma that she experienced as a young person and she had blocked it out and she also had postpartum depression after having a child four years ago where she had suicidal ideations and she had to go on medication and she was ashamed because people who manifest things don't have to take medication so she had to kind of confront that there was some marriage stuff happening and and she used therapy to to navigate a lot of those situations so it was a very very transparent and vulnerable conversation and this episode is going to be a combination of our podcast conversation as well as an IG live that I did with Gabby on the day that Happy Days first came out in March of 2022 because 
she was also very vulnerable with that as well. And I wanted you guys to hear that. So I know you're going to get a lot of value out of Gabby's story, and I want to get right to the interview. So without further ado, here is Miss Gabby Bernstein. Gabby Bernstein, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for carving a little time out of your super busy book promotion schedule to chat with my audience. I'm super honored to have you. Thank you, my friend. And it's such a privilege always to be in your presence. And lately, we connect mainly through these kinds of interviews lately Mm -hmm. in the last two years. But it's such a nice selfish moment for me because while we're doing a podcast, we're also, it's just nice to be with you. Yeah, I haven't seen you in person since Serenby when we both were at the Atune Festival, which is which was a few months before the pandemic started. It was so, right um, before we really just made it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so now you're nine books in, and mm-hmm. you started writing books in, uh, I believe, it was 2011, right? So you're 12 years as a writer. It's a lot of books, Gabby. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of books mm-hmm. on top of the talks and the workshops and the cards and the podcast and the blog and all of that and the kid and the family. (laughs) You've lived a lot of life in these 40 something years. How do you do it all? Well, I do it all quite differently now than I used to. So that's good news. Today, do it all by really caring for my internal system and showing up for all of the parts of myself that need to be heard and cared for and respected. And sometimes that means saying no to things. And sometimes that means saying yes, but taking a long bath after. (laughs) Or Mm -hmm. that means asking for help. Or that means investing more in support. Because for many years, I didn't live like that. For many years, I was doing all the same things, if not more, without that inner care. And I understand now why I was doing that, like why I lived in such an extreme way, because it was just a form of protecting myself from impermissible historical feelings that I didn't want to face. But having moved through and recovered from and healed and soothed those child parts of myself, I'm now living in a much more resourced way. And in this resource way of living, I can do less and attract more. I can still do a lot and not burn out. And I can moment by moment check in with my own inner system and say, what do you need right now? What do you need right now? Because when we start to establish that relationship with every part of ourselves, and you know, we start to live from a place of this kind of internal parent right? Rather than Mm -hmm. live from from a place of chaos. (laughs) Living in that way allows us to show up for our life and do it in a way that is balanced and calm and creative and less extreme. I watched your impact theory show with Tom and you guys got into this sort of playful debate around patience. And you were kind of implying that patience is good. And he was saying, oh, I don't, I'm not into patience. That's not my thing and all of that. And in looking at your story now and how your own life has evolved, you obviously 
transition away from forcing things to happen. And we'll get into that a little bit, but into allowing things to happen. And now you sort of mentor a ton of other people, mostly women, I'm assuming, in finding their own purpose, finding their own relationship with their inner voice. And yet you can speak to it so eloquently because you forced things early on and you had to get burned out and you had to go through your suicidal ideations and you had to understand what you understood about mental health. So I'm wondering, can someone truly, truly find their voice without going through all of that? Yeah, we all go through something. My stories might be far more extreme than somebody else's. My stories might Mm -hmm. be far less extreme than someone else's. We all have traumas. We all have trauma either with a big T or a small T. So a big T trauma could be, in my case, I I reveal that I remembered being sexually abused. In this book, Happy Days, I share the story of remembering. Whereas a small T trauma could be being bullied, which while it's called a small T trauma, it actually takes a lot of lives, right? When someone is bullied as a child. So we have all these different ways that we've felt inadequate or unlovable or not good enough in our childhood experience. And then we build up all these different forms of protection to protect against that feeling. And some of us have more extreme protective parts like addicts or folks who have had big T trauma do bigger things to avoid and anesthetize. But we all have these patterns of pushing down and numbing out the historical experiences of feeling inadequate and unlovable. So whether we have it in an extreme way or we have it in a minor way that's still blocking us from the true successes that we want and the true freedom that we want, the true joy that we want, the true love that we want, we all have this historical wounded child parts of ourselves that deserve our care. And so to really accept that is kind of the first step is to accept that no matter how good I think everything's been, there's stuff that made an imprint on me. And I've been doing a lot of different things in my life to avoid having to face that feeling. (laughs) And when I start to accept that and start to notice all the ways that I've been running and avoiding, and then start to care for myself with compassion and curiosity and creativity, and just start to lean into that awareness and self care of being compassionate towards the ways that we've been overreacting or protecting ourselves. That begins a journey of a total reclaiming of who we really are. Because I see people all the time that are like living seemingly happy lives, but if you really start to talk to them, not that happy. Or it looks good on the outside, but if you really get into it, there's some big thing that's a driving force in their life. And that's most people. And so when we become brave enough to start to look at that driving force and care for that driving force, we can begin to soften it. And it's not that we lose our edge. It's just that we soften our edges and we become more of who we really are. How do you define happiness? Oh, wow. That's easy for me to say. Happiness is waking up without anxiety every day. Happiness is feeling free in my body and free in my mind. Happiness is being connected to others energetically because of my ability to be present. Happiness is just the felt sense of being in a room with a human or a cat or whoever you might love and just experiencing them fully. I mean, truly to boil it down, happiness is the presence of being, being present in your life. 
Hey there, really quickly. Have you wanted to find your purpose or be more grateful or start a daily meditation practice, but you're not quite sure where to begin? Well, if inner work is like a drop of water, thehappinessinsiders.com is like your ocean. That's my online community where you can learn real-world techniques for cultivating more fulfillment from the inside out. So whether it's learning how to manifest abundance or access your potential or overcome fear or even just start walking every day, I've got a blueprint for you, which means you no longer have to use any more shoddy guesswork and you don't have to use the lone wolf approach to improving yourself. For a small accountability fee, you'll get community, you'll get accountability directly from me, and you'll get comprehensive instructions for getting your meditation practice off the ground. And for my podcast listeners, you'll receive 30% off of the all-access pass if you go to thehappinessinsiders.com right now and use the promo code HAPPY. Again, thehappinessinsiders.com. Enter the promo code HAPPY and you'll get 30% off on a yearly all-access pass, which gives you access to dozens of inner work challenges and masterclasses, such as my 108-day meditation challenge, which has an 80% completion rate. Plus, you get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's thehappinessinsiders.com. The code is HAPPY. All right, back to the episode. Do you think that happiness is something that we should strive for or is happiness the byproduct of self-care, following our purpose, listening to like we don't have to even think about happiness. If we do all these other things, then happiness is sort of the side effect of them. Well, happiness is our birthright. It's who we are. It is within all of us. If you call it happiness, mm-hmm. if you call it freedom, if you whatever you call it, that inner peace and joy, it's who we are. But really what we've done is built up all these defense mechanisms and protective mechanisms and managers and all these different behavioral patterns that built up a wall almost against the presence of that joy. And as we start to do spiritual work and we start to do therapeutic work and we start to read a book like Happy Days or to read any of, to read your future book, whatever it is, to listen and follow you even on social media you begin the journey of dismantling the walls that you've built up against the presence of that joy within. And so it's not about striving to get, it's about clearing the space to reconnect to that joy. When did you realize that you had found your voice? Three months ago. <laughs> it took you nine <laughs> months to realize you had found later. your voice. Yeah, I think I'd found my, I, th- I think I'd, I think I'd found my voice as a communicator 16 years ago, but and a translator and a teacher, but really three months ago when I started to do podcasts six, six hours a day in this little ISO booth that I'm talking to you in right now, mm-hmm. sharing the truthful messages of this book, I realized, wow, Gabby, you're so deeply grounded in the truth of who you are and mm-hmm. you're so present and able to be in connection with humans, even on Zoom, and to feel into their presence and to co-regulate in the moment and be in the seat of your truth. Especially with a book like this, like expressing such profound, vulnerable truths couldn't come out unless I was really grounded in my own voice. And so, yeah, I think it really hit me. I think I've always thought that I was connected to my 
voice. And I have been in many ways, always connected to what was coming through me at whatever time it might've been, but it feels like it's really locked into place right now. Yeah. You know, in the spiritual community, people talk about how they've worked through this or they worked through that. And you described in your book is you literally went through four years of three sessions a week (laughs) of digging through and unpacking your past traumas and on top of dealing with everything else that you're dealing with. And you wrote, I believe, three other books during that time. And you were warned not to speak about it yet because you might accidentally re-traumatize yourself. I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot to process while you're going through your own day-to-day process. So how do you know when you've transitioned from trauma to profound freedom and inner peace for anyone else who's going through that process and is feeling overwhelmed, just thinking that, I don't know if I'm ever going to get through this and Mm -hmm. and show up for my job and show up for my family and, Mm. and all of that. Well, first and foremost, I think it's really important that I mention two things. One, we all have Mm -hmm. trauma to work through. So this is a relevant conversation to every single person that's watching right now, big T or small T trauma. Number two, you can't just stop your life. I mean, some people do. Some people go to 21 day treatments or, you know, go to treatment for six months or that's amazing. And I, I'm very much an advocate of recovery treatment if it's necessary, but not everybody has the privilege of being able to do that. Just period. So often we have to show up for our inner world and care for our inner world while living our outer life. And that was the case for me. And so I just want to point out that you don't have to rip off the Band-Aid all at once. You are going to still maintain your coping mechanisms for a while and you're going to just take it slow and titrate in and titrate out. It's kind of like when you first get sober, like they're like, okay, you put down the drink and the drug, but if you want to eat a shitload of sugar and smoke cigarettes right now, that's okay. That's okay. Like your sponsor will be like, eat those donuts and smoke those cigarettes, you know, because it's like, if you just try to take it all off at once, it will be too extreme for your system. So to trust that you can live your life and slowly and and methodically and therapeutically titrate into this old historical stuff and then come out and be back in your life and then go in and then come out. And that actually is the journey. It's not about really just like blasting yourself open. It's really about taking it slow. That's actually why I have devoted so many different methods in the book that I share about how I spent several years titrating in and out, even really decades, because even all the spiritual work that I had done prior to being 36 years old and remembering the trauma was the foundation with which I was able to continue to go into the deeper work. And so it's been 16 years for me that I've been on this journey of undoing. And the truth is, is that the deeper you go and the more you committed you are, the faster you will get to freedom. Because the more we avoid, the more we avoid, (laughs) right? And the less likely we get there. And I I really want to acknowledge too that the path, while it might seem scary, is far less scary than living in denial of the truth. know each other super well, but I've known you for quite a while and I've gotten a chance to see you working and also get to experience you behind the scenes. And to me, you come across, you know, there's really not a lot of difference. 
And being someone who also gives a lot of talks and presentations and workshops, it was also it was a relief to kind of see your behind the scenes process because you go into quite a bit of detail in that in the book. And especially the part about you talking to crowds of thousands of people and then going home and being sort of aloof with your partner. I thought it was just me, but I read, read for some of us, it's a lot easier to be that vulnerable in front of strangers. And you know what I learned about that. And I write about that in that chapter is that that chapter is so beautiful because what I mentioned in that part was that I'm live in front of this big audience of people and I'm so comfortable being vulnerable and I go home and I'm actually now shut down and turned off and like in this mode of like, you know, controlling everything. But what I came to realize was at that time, being live and vulnerable was safe for me because that's when I was in control. I was the conductor of the energy of that audience. I called the shots. My energy was holding the room. So that for me at the time was the safest place for me to be vulnerable because it was what I was the most in control. You also talk a lot about the uh, postpartum depression that you experienced and that one moment where it all came to a head and you had to cancel one of your talks, which is like the cardinal sin of anyone who's trying to... Never done it in my life. I'd never, you know, 16 years, it was, well, at that time it had been, I don't know, 14 years of speaking, 20 years of speaking, but 14 years of speaking as a spiritual teacher and I never canceled a talk in my entire life. And that, leave it to that to be my bottom, you know, not like the suicidal ideation or the, you know, <laughs> insomnia, but that I missed a talk. And for whatever reason, that was the moment when I really hit my knees and was like, I, I have to get a proper diagnosis and I can't run from this anymore. No, it was, it was, it was really beautiful. Just the, the whole thing. I mean, we could go on. We don't have that much time, so I don't, I don't want to go too deep into any of these. And plus, people should read it in context. But just to see the juxtaposition, you know, you, you partying and, and being on drugs and stuff and alcohol and then kind of getting sober and, and going through your whole journey. I didn't know a lot of that. Having written eight books prior to this and been in therapy, how, how did you know this was the time to reveal question. this level of vulnerability? Good question. In the book, I share a very, very personal story about remembering trauma, childhood trauma. And I remembered it when I was 36 years old, and that was in 2016. And at the time, I remember saying, and I write about this in the book, I said to my, my speaking coach, I need to speak about this. One in four women, one in three or four women have had this experience. So many men have had this experience. I need to, rem- I need to speak. I need to get out. And she was like, hell no. Stop. Do not speak about this until you are grounded in your recovery. Because if I had, I would be not only re-traumatizing myself, but traumatizing my audiences. And so while it's come out in moments along the way in interviews with our friends like Lewis Howes and folks, it's been a part of my storyline that I've shared. Truly writing this book, while it was something I wanted to do in 2016, could not come out until now because I'm on the other side. And I wrote this book in 2020, sitting in the seat of a lot of recovery, sitting in the seat of years of therapy and spiritual growth. And then at that point, four solid years of three therapy sessions a week of full-blown resurrection, reprocessing, coming out of those dark wounds that had been so buried and returning to that safety within myself. And so I've said this over and over on every single interview 
And, you know, it was funny. I was on the today show yesterday and Hoda said to me, can you recover from trauma? And I said, I would not put my face on the cover of this book with the subtitle, The Guided Path from Trauma to Profound Freedom and Inner Peace, if I didn't believe that was true, if I didn't know that to be true in my body. So every single one of us have experienced trauma, trauma with a big T, trauma with a small T. We all woke up today and witnessed bombs going and, you know, sirens going off in Ukraine. We are on the precipice of big, big horrific events in this world. We've lived through a worldwide pandemic. You cannot be alive right now and say you've never experienced trauma because we're living in this moment. And so we have to do our part to regulate our own nervous system, to support our energy field and to heal those wounded parts of us that have been begging to come forth. Yeah, that was one other part of the book that really stood out for me was near the end when you talked about your journey with having to, not having to, but going on antidepressants as a result of the postpartum depression. And then having that realization that that person that you got to write the blog post years and years ago, who wanted to mention that she was taking antidepressants, you you told her to take that out of the article, then you called her up and apologized. I was part of the stigma. Yeah. I stayed for four months, not medicated, not with the right diagnosis, suicidal ideation, insomnia, agoraphobia, extreme anxiety attacks, and depression for months, for the first four months of my son's life. Did not get a proper diagnosis because I was trying to fix it with meditation. I was trying to yeah, fix you're the spiritual it. Spiritual. I was later. trying to fix it with all the wellness tools that I had built up. And that's all beautiful. And I have was brought up homeopathic. I was brought up to meditate. I know that I can be a source of healing for my body and myself. But when you're having a biochemical condition, if somebody listening right now is suffering with a diagnosis of anxiety, depression, postpartum, you must recognize that God is in everything. God is in the therapist. God is in the psychiatrist. God is in light. God is in the book. God is in the fucking medication when you need it. And so it's like that parable, you know, like God, like God sends the boat and he said, the guy's drowning and God's sending the boat and he's sending the raft and the guy got, the guy drowns and he's like, where were you? And God's like, I sent you a fucking boat. (laughs) I had to finally get on the boat. And I really speak very openly about that. I also talk about how I believe I was part of the stigma by saying to people, let's not talk about that. Mm. Let's not write about that on the blog. We don't want to engage in that conversation. Oh my God, I can't even believe that those words came out of my mouth and that that was the perception that I had. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful that I was able to remedy that with my employee that had written this blog. And it's all in the book. You got to read the book. What would you say people still get wrong about you, about Gabby Bernstein being so open and vulnerable as you are? I don't really even know these days. I think maybe in the past people have placed perceptions onto people based on how they look or how they dress. So there's been people in my career that have said to me, wow, at first glance, I didn't think that you could go this deep, you know? And when you actually hear me open my voice, you're like, deep is the only place I go. So it's only big talk here. And so I think that these days, now that this book is out, no one can ever say that again. You've written a book before about treating doing the work like a full-time job, and it really has to be that. 
and it, uh, you know, it, look, I, I'm, this is what I do as well. So my whole shtick is to make it such a part of your day that it doesn't feel like you yeah. have to be in some privileged position in order to do it. Right. You yeah. just do it when you can do it kind of guerrilla style. And I love that that's been your approach as well. And you describe Happy Days as your most spiritual book. Yeah. Why is you that? Know, when I submitted this manuscript, I sent it to my publishers and they wrote back and said, we need to talk. And again, this is my ninth book. I'd written you know, more than half a dozen books with this particular publisher. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I've, no one's ever like challenged my manuscript because it was always pretty, I sent it in clean, it was good work. And it was always like, let's print. Of course, you know, some line edits, but like, let's print. And this time they were very concerned. So they called me and they said, we're worried about you, Gabby. You're sharing one negative story after the next. You're too vulnerable and you're not showing your true strength. And I responded, my ability to be this vulnerable is my true strength. So Mm -hmm. thankfully I stuck to that. And I think that they also were concerned that it was missing some of the spiritual foundation. And some of it meant like those, like sometimes when you have, when you, you know, when you paint a painting, sometimes like the last three strokes are like what make it Picasso, right? Like whatever it is. So whatever it is you're creating, sometimes like the last few strokes of whatever the creation is, just tip it over the edge. And so while I didn't totally agree with them, I did take it in. I allowed myself to humbly look at the manuscript from that lens. Okay, well, what's missing here? And it wasn't that the vulnerability was too vulnerable. It wasn't balanced enough with the spiritual message. And in one day of painting, you know, painting with my fingertips on the keyboard, I was able to soften the edges of this book by just adding the core through line, which is that none of this would be my reality without my spiritual foundation. And that's what made this book so excellent. Because I think when you write a book that has more clinical information, you kind of have to use one side of your brain and then step away from it to be able to come back to it with that right brain's creative capacity to channel and just really be that kind of messenger. And so... I'm super grateful that that message came through them because it allowed me to come back to the manuscript and say, well, all of these therapies saved my life, but none of them would have been possible without the spiritual through line and imprint that message in every single chapter in different ways. And the reason it's my most spiritual book is because I've taught people about manifesting and of course, meditation and grounding and all of that is true and real and available to us. But the greatest way to connect to spirit, to a spiritual relationship of your own understanding, is to release the blocks to the presence of that connection that's within you. And that clear portal that is a a vessel that we all are to receive that intuitive guidance. And so if we have the desire to just feel the high of a spiritual connection, but not do the deeper work, then we are, in fact, spiritually bypassing. Whereas if we go deeper and we commit to going deeper, we can go in to come out the other side. How do you distinguish between your inner guidance, like guiding you in the direction of, hey, you should go see a therapist or you should do this or you should do that versus 
your conditioning or maybe even your trauma voice saying, oh, don't do that because that's going to make you more anxious. Yes. So I think that it's important to acknowledge that the inner guidance system is very calm and compassionate and courageous Mm -hmm. and super curious about things. Whereas the ego, the fear part of our mind, the protection mechanisms are extreme, overactivated, controlling, fear-based. And so when you start to see it from that lens, it's pretty easy to decipher, oh, is that my ego or is that my inner guidance system? And you can see it pretty clearly. And it's not about... And when you're listening to your inner guidance system, you don't actually have to be as directive. You're more receptive. So you're literally listening. Oh, okay. Do that thing. Say yes to that. Say no to that. Slow down. Rev up. Whatever it might be. It's a, it's a, you're, you're in more of a receptive role. Love that. You said calm, compassionate, courageous, and curious. I don't know if you meant to have all yeah, of them so, start with a C. If yeah, that's so a part of your, one of your books. What I'm referencing actually is in chapter seven of my book, I, I introduce internal family systems therapy, which I have used in my own therapy for a decade mm-hmm. with my therapist. And then most recently got trained in the level one training of this of this model, because it's probably the most profound trauma recovery model that I've ever experienced, really any therapeutic model that I've ever experienced that I wanted to get trained so I could be a support system using this model in my own work. And when I refer to those C qualities, courage, compassion, curiosity, creativity, connectedness, calmness, courage, compassion is the most important one. When we look at these C qualities, these are qualities of self with a capital S. Like you might call that higher self or spiritual presence or the God within us. I, you know, we all have our own language, the light within us. We all have our own language for how we reference that undamaged, resourced, internal parent, inner guide. And in IFS therapy, what it does is help us connect to those C qualities within ourselves. And establish a direct line of connection to that self with a capital S, that self energy. And with that connection, we can let that self be the leader of our experiences rather than all the coping mechanisms, rather than being in like, you know, the controlling part or being in the addictive part or being in the reactive part or being, because we have all these different ways of protecting and avoiding and numbing the activated child parts of ourselves, which are known as exiled parts. And so if we're living in exiles get triggered and protector parts get activated and we live there, then it's a very chaotic life to live. Whereas if we start to assume that energy of those self-see qualities, that self-energy can start to care for our internal landscape. So it can care for the addict. It can be compassionate towards the controlling part. It can be curious about the part of us that wants to overeat. And when you start to extend these equalities to these protection mechanisms, you actually start to settle your internal system. And so meditation, it's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. Yeah. So meditation is. That's right. So meditation, when used for self connection, right, is a way of settling the system, settling your nervous system. Mm. relaxing the 
protector parts, right? Because they're all activated and just relaxing the addict and the controller, and letting them settle, calming the mind, right? So calmness, connectedness. And in that place, when you get into that place of deeper contemplation, that's when self, the voice of self can be present. That's when you can be right, you know, journaling after your meditation and hear only words of compassion and just care and kindness and, and love towards, right? Or you can become curious about. But when meditation is used to get high, right? To get above the feelings, then that's spiritual bypassing. So it's really important to know the difference. Am I intending to use meditation to avoid or numb out or get above a feeling, or am I allowing it to settle my system so I can become curious about those uncomfortable parts, or I can be extend compassion, or I can develop an inner presence of self-compassion? There's a difference there. And I think it's really important. It's something that I actually never really understood until I became a student of IFS and befriended the founder of IFS. His name is Dick Schwartz. And Dick was really open with me about his concern about the spiritual world and all that we do, because he's a very spiritual teacher, even though he's he's a therapist and in the clinical space, but he's a very spiritual man. But he was like, you know, a lot of people have been using spirituality to get over. It's like almost like the spiritual practice became another form of protection to avoid having to feel deeper feelings. And so we want to make sure that when we're using our spiritual practice, we're using it as a way to connect to our feelings more than get above them. So obviously, your 21-day meditation challenge focuses on that more grassroots connection level of meditation. Yeah. So the intention of the meditation challenge is to introduce different meditations to people who have a meditation practice or people who don't, and to elevate <clears throat> their practice or to begin their practice. And then the repetition of that daily habit creates a long-term experience and, and practice. And what my intention throughout that entire 21 days is to help people connect to self-compassion, to help people feel curious about their inner world, to help them develop that sense of connectedness to themselves, to spirit, to that inner realm, and to connect to that self-energy. Exactly. For people who hear this conversation and you know they're intrigued, maybe they haven't, they're not as familiar with you as many others are. What are the best two books to start with because you've written so many. There's three of my books that I would, one of which I would start with. So I've written nine, but there's three. And I would say, if you're someone who's super new to this work and you're kind of like, I want the light, like the light intro, and I want to really, you know, just start to tap, dip my toe in, start with my book, The Universe Has Your Back, because it will help you. It's, it's, it's the subtitle is Transform Fear into Faith. And it will give you a very clear introduction to what it is like to live a spiritual life. And if you're someone who is wanting to really like amplify your life and manifest and just jump right into co-creating a life that you want, then my book, Super Attractor, is a tremendous book in that area. But then if you're living in this time right now, my advice would be if you're willing to do deeper work and if you're willing to start to phase into some tougher stuff, and you're willing to do what it takes to come back to a place of freedom, then start with happy days. But it's nice mm -hmm. to be able to offer those three. Those are the ones I, I feel most connected to, and I think the audience as well. But I don't want to discredit the other ones because they're, they're so good too. And if you were to do it in an order, 
in my ideal world, read Happy Days, then read The Universe Has Your Back, then read Super Attractor. Because if you did that, then you're cleaning up your inner world and starting to establish an inner sense of safety, which is the most powerful, profound place to build on a, a spiritual practice from, rather than building a spiritual practice to avoid that feeling of not being safe. Deepak has written 80-something books at this point. <laughs> I think he's, he's written... Uh, he's, I, I was with is, him when he published his 90th book. Okay, there we go. 90 books. And he's what, like 70-something, maybe 80, getting close to 80 I am on old. the fast track to Deepak, yes. <laughs> is that where we're going with all of this? Maybe. I mean, Not I that think, it's a competition, but it seems you know, like you have a lot to say and it's very I have relevant. A lot to it's say. very accessible. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's 80 books at that point, but but it's not really... For me, there's so much to say. And I live with like a real direct through line of creative source that's always coming through. So every time I say something, I want to share it. And it's not because it's me. It's because I'm listening. It's because I'm a portal. I'm a vessel, as are you, for allowing a sense of my own connection to inner wisdom and to be a conduit through which divine wisdom can come through. And that might sound heady to people, but it's fucking true. When you get out of the way, you can let a powerful presence inform your words and your actions and your books. And endless books are possible when you live that inspired connection. And so that's why Deepak's written so many books because he's super inspired. He just wants to create. And I feel the same. Final question for you. How do you think about purpose? Because there's the school of thought that you're always on your purpose, whether you realize it or not. There's another school of thought where you choose it, you choose your purpose. And I know you've written about the choose again method. And so tell me what your understanding of purpose is these days. I believe our purpose is to feel safe and to feel joyous and to feel free inside so that we can be an expression of that freedom in the world in whatever form it comes whether it comes out as a, being a secure parent, whether it comes out as being a secure lover or friend or teacher or coworker or boss, I think our purpose really is to come back to that self-energy of grace. And when we're there, we can do anything. Beautiful. Thank you so much. It's an honor again having you on the show, Gabby. I appreciate you making the time. And I look forward to crossing paths with you again very, very soon and getting one of your warm Gabby Bernstein hugs. I know. I feel like the next time we see each other, we should devote probably a few hours over coffee to riff Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. connect. Because there's a lot of people in the world that I love and care for, but there's a handful of people that I really would long to hang out with longer. And you're on the short (laughs) list of hangouts. Thank you You so much. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I adore you. Thank you, my love. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to my interview with Gabby Bernstein. Her newest book, Happy Days, is available everywhere books are sold. And to sign up for that 21-day meditation challenge that we talked about, you can just go to GabbyBernstein.com. Make sure to follow Gabby on social media at Gabby Bernstein. And of course, we'll put all the links to everything in the show notes, which you can find at LightWatkins.com. And while you're there, you can search for my past episodes by subject matter. So if you want to see more episodes about people who've taken leaps of faith or people who've overcome financial struggles or health challenges, you can get a list of all of those episodes about those particular subjects. By the way, did you know that you can also watch my podcast interviews on my YouTube channel? Because I know for me, sometimes it's nice to put a face to a voice or to a story 
So just keep that in mind in case you're the same. I post every podcast episode on my YouTube channel, which you can find by just searching Light Watkins podcast on YouTube. And I also put the raw, unedited version of every podcast in my Happiness Insiders online community. So if you're the type that likes to hear all the mistakes and the false starts and the chit chat in the beginning and the end of the episodes, you can listen to all of that by joining my Happiness Insiders online community at thehappinessinsiders.com. Not only will you have access to those unedited versions of the podcasts, but you'll also have access to my 108-day meditation challenge, a seven-day meditation kickstart, and there's also a 108-day movement challenge. If you're feeling inspired by these stories and you want to make sure that this podcast and these kinds of conversations stick around for a while, the best way to support that mission is to leave a rating or review for my podcast, which you can do right now very, very quickly and easily by glancing down at your phone screen and on the podcast app, just click on the name of my show and then scroll down past the six or seven previous episodes until you see the five blank stars and just tap the one all the way over on the right and you've left a five-star rating. Thank you very much for that in advance. Otherwise, I look forward to hopefully seeing you back here next week for another story about someone just like me, just like you, taking a leap of faith in the direction of their purpose. And until then, keep trusting your intuition, keep following your heart, keep taking those leaps of faith. And if no one's told you recently that they believe in you, I believe in you. Have a great day. If you want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day, then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email. You'll join 30,000 other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote that's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at lightwatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again, just go to lightwatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.